0: One, two, three,
1: four. Monster movie. Fun time. Go. Monster movie. Fun time. Go. Monster movie. Fun time. Go. Monster, Monster
2: movie. movie. Fun time. Go.
3: With Precious D and Honeybee. Fun time. Go.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to 31 Days of Horror. Day 11. My special guest today is Charlie Menzies, another role-playing game designer from Parable Games. We're going to talk a little bit about his game before we get to the movie of the day, which is your next... Charlie, welcome to the show.
1: Hello, thanks for having me.
0: Well, thank you for being here. You're coming to us all the way from across the pond.
1: I do indeed, from old Blighty. Um, Yes. Uh,
0: Yeah, it's the first time I've had an international call, but Discord seems to be handling it quite well. So, tell us a little bit about your game, Shiver.
1: Shiver is a horror tabletop RPG that's entirely setting neutral. So you can play anything from Scooby-Doo to Stranger Things, um, all the way up to Predator or Alien or any kind of pop culture, film, book, TV show um, that you've kind of read or imagined, um, you can play with Shiver as a system.
0: And it uses its own special dice, right?
1: Yes. So it uses um, the archetype dice system. So it's a new system that we designed. Um, uh, The way that it works is that it's entirely symbolic. Um, the reason for this was when I was designing, um, a lot of my friends are um, kind of disnumerate or dyslexic, and they found the heavy number element of certain systems really, really intimidating. So when I was kind of designing this, I was wanting to kind of make it more inviting and get as many people kind of playing at the table as possible. Um, so so kind of to break down the system very simply, it's a dice pool system. Um, there are six core skills. Um, Grit, Wit, Heart, Smart, uh, Luck and Strange. Um, And you have a number that gives you kind of core skill die, which are D6s with a symbol that represents each core skill on each side. Um, You also have Talent die. So if you're really, really good at something, there's a universal success apart from Strange, which is represented by a star. Um, So you roll that pool um, and say you're making a grit check, then you're looking for as many symbols um, of that as possible. so, for example, if you're like wanting to kick down a door, um, you'd assemble your dice pool, roll your grip pool, and if you rolled a bunch of fists and successes, um, you'd maybe kick the door off its hinges. But the nice thing that we're kind of finding about the dice system of it being symbolic is that it provides very interesting avenues to um, kind of communicating non-binary successes. So we call this reading the knuckle bones. So say, for example, I rolled a load of smarts, I might stub my toe on the door but discover a key um under the doormat start uh, having an investigate around um over a load rolled a, a load of strange something bad might happen, and a bouncer might open the door and initiate a combat, for example, so it allows you the kind of this large amount of flexibility as well as being a storytelling aid as well
0: okay so it seems to me numerically that it's not that different than just saying if you roll a six, you succeed, and here's how many dice you're gonna to roll to try to do that. But by putting the symbols on them, you've given yourself a, a narrative element that you can incorporate if you care to.
1: Exactly, so yeah. Even yeah.
0: if you don't succeed, you can still uh, have something happen.
1: Yeah, we have this, um, it, generally our ethos when designing was that every role should have consequence. So kind of having those symbols there as a storytelling aid Because it's a thing. If you like, you rolled a four, for example. A four doesn't really tell a story, but if you rolled Mm -hmm. a load of one symbol, then suddenly it's, oh, maybe I achieved this in a different way, and it encourages improvisation. We find from from both sides of the table for GMs and for players as well.
0: I found it uh, most helpful for there to be a online dice roller because that can be an issue with these uh, games that have specialty dice. Finding the dice or having enough set of dice can be a problem. So I really appreciate that you guys made an online roller available for free. Uh, I've seen other games that want you to pay for a dice app.
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. We we were very um very against the kind of like paying for an app version of the dice roller because because we we, mm-hmm. we were very aware of that that other games had kind of butted up against that controversy in terms of like. It seeing like um proprietary dice being kind of seen as a money spinning scheme but for yeah. us the the dice are integral for kind of how you tell the story um and how you kind of play the game and, and access that kind of element there is a numerical mm-hmm. conversion as well that you can do but we do kind of recommend that if you're using the kind of symbolic dice that's the best way um but yeah we developed we we kind of came out of finishing like all of our development and releasing um during the pandemic so one of our kind of like mission statements for the game was like, we have to have a free dice roller that's ready to go um, and available to players um, when we release Um, because the the things we're finding, it opens up kind of so much more If you. If you have a couple of extra people turn up to your game, it does just mean you can load it up on a phone and get rolling. And it remembers your character Mm. details as well.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know about anyone else, but all my games are online and have been for a couple of years now and they may just remain that way because we've had some players move around and we find it's just, you know, some of them are out of town now. We can still keep playing if we stay online. So that online dice roller is very convenient. We did play the quick starter the other day to get a feel for what this game was like. So I'd have some idea what I'm talking about when I when I speak <laughs> with you. And uh, we uh, enjoyed it. Found it pretty Easy to catch on to. And in fact, I recorded some of my players' feedback. So let's take a listen to that right now. All right, guys, we just finished playing our first ever game of Shiver. What do you guys think?
4: Well, for someone who didn't do the required readings before the game, I thought it was pretty easy to catch on. And I really like the battle system. Like, I like the use of these dice. I thought it was really easy to pick up.
0: Yeah, that having the online, online dice roll, of course, is uh, yeah, that very, was, very convenient for playing a quick start.
3: Yeah, the only thing about the dice roller is if they could add one where you can just set it to uh, whatever dice you want to roll. Like, we had cases where people had to uh, roll st- single die, and so we had to make it up on the fly, so that's the only thing I would have to
0: say. Not a major problem, but yeah, just a single single die. A single die off to the side would would have been...
3: Yeah, that would have been nice. Would have been nice, because you could have changed it from one or more. The
2: flaws were um, more attractive and sort of tangible... Uh, in the system than they are in some game systems. You so, like the, I played.
0: You mean I the played, flaw that your character
3: has?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. Yeah, the character flaw. Like, so I played the um, the survivor, and his character flaw was that you know he's kind of like the main character, so the monsters always chase after him, and so that added an interesting dynamic to it. Some some game systems, you know, flaws and all that are just kind of, they're just flavor. So it was kind of fun that it was an actual part of the system.
0: I'm sorry, I should say I have with me Dieter, Joe, David and Rachel. That was Joe just talking. Dieter mentioned the single die option and uh, Rachel mentioned how easy it was to catch onto the rules. David, got anything you want to continue?
2: No, the the a person uh, who did not read the rules to begin with and and read them on the fly, the the dice system was a little confusing, but made sense by the game time the game was over. Okay, This is Joe. Um, I did the reading, so the die system wasn't that confusing. Joe yeah, wants
0: full credit for doing the class. For being... I will con
2: I will admit, David, I had to read it through a couple times to understand what was going on.
3: Well, we've
0: played a lot of different systems, so it always takes a moment to uh, get up to speed with a new one and to maybe forget things about other systems that you might assume make that little adjustment. but uh,
4: Uh, Also, um, this is Rachel speaking, but I kind of... With the layout of the map it was kind of easy to see where the story progression was going where we started on the bottom floor and where we we were working our way to the top so i think everyone intuitively knew where to go even though we weren't really you know given prompts as much we all knew that we had to go up to the top floor so we would be looking for exits or the like the rooms were labeled ballistics or defense and so we would know to look there for weapons and defense. So it was pretty easy to understand.
0: Yeah, the adventure itself is fairly uh, straightforward. Uh, everybody made it through, except for the NPCs. We suck. They were too slow. Um, my main critique, and this might work different in a longer game, is the doom clock didn't seem to advance quickly enough to have any impact on the game. But I suppose if you were playing a longer scenario than just a quick start, uh, that might not be the case. Or maybe we just got lucky <laughs> and yeah. it proceeded slowly.
2: Another reflection was when I was reading through about the stats, it's always interesting in a new system to see what they're trying to do with stats. Uh, some. For the most part they they felt a little like just re uh, packaging of familiar stats in d twenty systems um, <clears throat> you know mentions name mentions charisma, et etc um, but some of them, like the one that in, in another system might be called dexterity, was about the same feature set as what was called wit um mm-hmm. so I don't you know that that didn't really resonate with me but
0: you mean that the stats weren't different enough or
2: well just so there's the stat that's for picking locks sneaking sleight of hand fighting at range which in a d20 system is you know dexterity but this system calls it wit that seemed a bit of a stretch didn't i don't know where wit comes from oh Uh, you're saying
0: they could have just called it dexterity and and or or agility or something, and not call it wit.
2: I mean, I'm delighted for them to call it something, but wit didn't resonate with I see. picking yeah. locks. Well, maybe picking locks, but fighting at range, you know. The symbol I mean, for wit
0: is a little key. More now, uh, the luck and the strange stats were um, a little different than your standard.
3: Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, and then yeah. the thing is, with the gaining luck rapidly, or with depending upon the rolls, It's, uh, you know, you felt more to use it than to save it. Right. Yeah. So it's like, It was was not meant
2: to bank it and hold it.
3: No. And it's probably within the next one to two rolls, you'd probably want to use it.
0: And I thought with only having one of each symbol on each die that it might be harder to succeed than it actually was. But um, you guys seem to succeed fairly often, so. That was good.
3: We were using our primary skills, so that probably didn't hurt either. Yeah. Last change is fine.
0: More, dice, more dice to roll.
2: Well, right yeah, at the end, I, could, I couldn't it's... shoot that laser to save my life.
3: <laughs> and you were so smart. Uh,
2: well, I wasn't using my primary attribute either. I was using wit. That was not my primary yeah. attribute.
0: So we should say that this game uses special dice, but if you don't have them, there's a dice roller online. And the dice have the symbols for each of your stats, grit, wit, smarts, heart, luck, and strange, one of those on each side of the six sided die. So if you're making a grit roll, you roll the number of dice you have in grit and you try to get a grit symbol on the die. So you got a one in six chance on each die of succeeding. You might also have some talent die, which are eight-sided die that have a combination of successes and strange symbols on them. And those can help if that's your main ability that has a higher. uh...
2: Yeah. Those, those help a lot. I mean, and that's an interesting, you know, approach. I, I found that interesting. Uh, I, I'd be interested also to see though, when the full rules are out, what's the scope, the ambition of it because, of the system because it does seem to me like this uh the core skills of the shiver system is more for for sort of casual play you know like um so there's no stat or core skill that relates to for instance toughness um and you know everybody has the exact same number of health so to speak and so there's some limited capacity for sort of differentiation and the advancement of characters.
3: The
0: full rules are out. I don't have them. And they've done a Kickstarter for one expansion, and they have a new Kickstarter that will be starting on the day we release this for other um, expansions that address specific types of horror um, settings or genres. Cool. So, yeah, I don't know about character advancement and further specialization or any of that kind of stuff. I don't know if you can get more hit points or if there's a way to start with more, but in this quick start, anyway, everybody had 16 health to start with. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for playing with me, everybody. So, um, that, yeah, that was just a little bit of feedback on our first game of shiver and now on with the show. (laughs) Okay, we're back. So it sounds like everybody had a a good time, but they had a couple of questions. Uh, anything in particular jump out to you, Charlie?
1: for me in, in, ter- in terms of like just to explain some of the design decisions um mm-hmm. so so um so health points uh, I, I, um, this has come up quite a few times in terms of the uh the reasoning why everyone has the same HP. Um, it's very much to emulate that horror style and that kind of horror movie feeling. Of the thing is, is that it's your abilities and your approach to the game that makes you different from one another, rather than um, kind of like a uh, kind of swollen kind of HP stat block. Because the, right. the idea, the idea for us is like you're all human, you're all equally squishy mm-hmm. um, to a certain degree, yes. and you're going to take damage. But then it's like for the warrior, for example, so some, some of their um, abilities are all about. Um, reducing damage and kind of bringing damage down and protecting other people from damage and so there there are things kind of like that like kind of having that tough ability that triggers when you're attacked Um, means that your hp stat block kind of stays the same but there are more and more opportunities to start reducing damage um, as as you kind of level up and kind of move through the game Um, in terms of a the uh, I know that we've kind of already kind of touched upon the numerical element as well in terms of the mm-hmm. the one in six um element we found that um by people kind of picking a weakness and having kind of a strength where you have that talent dive, which I what people say was really really useful because of the nature of kind of archetypes we found it's really helped to kind of encourage people to fall into those like horror movie roles and play to those tropes and kind of really get in the spirit of things um not to say that anyone should like, kind of be discouraged from kind of making roles, but the, the idea that um, kind of you're going to roll um, at something that you're likely to fail at and potentially generate some doom helps generate that tension and makes you kind of more nervous like you would be in a horror film. So that's just some of the kind of thought processes um, kind of around that.
0: Yeah, that was uh, my thinking. once I took a moment to think about it, I, I realized that everyone having the same starting health is, means everyone's equally likely to die. As you are in a horror movie, you never know if the, the great big healthy guy is going to make it or the guy with the asthma inhaler. They're both just <laughs> as likely to get it. So it's really a combination of luck and wit that tends to keep you alive. It's seldom just a matter of being the toughest guy who can absorb the most damage in a, in a horror film.
1: Yeah, and, and we, we've enjoyed seeing other players kind of really leaning into that and um, adopting those playstyles. So the amount of people that will see a couple of rounds of combat and they will run away and they will hide um, or they will mm-hmm. try and escape and they will do things that you don't see in other RPGs because generally the mode, I think, is that everyone wants to run up to the monster and try and beat it with a stick and and defeat it whilst yeah. some some monsters are, are there that kind of... Um, that, In horror movies, that's quite rare. Only until you kind of get to the finale, where you've uncovered the mystery and gathered all your resources, do you face off against that giant, kind of large, um, kind of threat that's looming at the end of the tunnel.
0: (laughs) Well, let me tell you now. If you're thinking of playing the kick, the quick starter, you might want to skip this next bit because I'm going to spoil it. (laughs) My players, I mean, we regularly play Dungeons and Dragons and other sort of just you know run up and hit the monster kind of games. They all survived, but largely because once they got to that last room and they saw that big bad and they saw the escape pods, they just headed straight for those escape pods. They looked at their uh, their turn order, which was not necessarily set, but they just looked at how many spaces it was to that escape pod and when they were going to go and boom, 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 they just jumped in those pods and went. And they yeah. had no thought, no thought of... This might be a worldwide threat that we are the only ones who are here to deal with it. Maybe it's our responsibility to deal with it. Nope. (laughs) They just got (laughs) out of there. So I gave them the bad ending. Mm. (laughs) Even though they survived, when they came out, they saw fires in the distance and (laughs) the sky was red and everything is crap now. (laughs) Mm so i don't know if we'll return to that game or not but uh yeah i left it wide open for for an apocalypse should they care to deal with it yeah well, we did lose every npc they they all bit it
1: yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that was in spite now i did have a one not an issue exactly just an observation i found the doom clock did not advance very quickly so i just sort of you know when it felt appropriate they lost an npc or whatever uh, does it tend to move quickly? Is it just a matter of a shorter game or did we just get lucky or, or what? It's,
1: it's dependent on quite a lot of factors and it, it, it can depend on like your player style because um, we found that two kind of player types have emerged, people who we kind of call doom marchers who do everything mm-hmm. they can to advance the doom clock because they enjoy that escalating threat. And then you have doom managers which are people who like to use their luck to kind of pull the clock back. But in terms of um, yeah. do like Doom not triggering kind of fast enough, um, sometimes it can be dependent on the propensity for your players to roll and kind of question the environment. And the more that you're rolling and the more that you're rolling in combat um, and engaging in combat, it tends to kind of tick up quite fast. Um, okay. Um, and, and sometimes, because the thing with this is it is just pure chance. Some, I've I've played games where... People fail, but they just don't roll any strange, and it does just happen, and they get so lucky, um, which is an element. Also, if you have a weird, that um, archetype, that tends to affect the doomcock massively, because all of their abilities um, tend to generate doom when they use them, and certain um, more powerful abilities um, kind of further, further up their ability trees, um, are behind yeah. uh, doom quarter gates. So in terms of they need to like kind of move the doom quarters forwards and actually progress the doom clock to become more powerful. So they actually have a bit of an incentive to use their their abilities to make the world stranger and more dangerous in order to unlock those abilities to help them kind of help uh, the rest of the players, um, but at a cost of making the world more dangerous around them. Mm
0: -hmm. Let's uh, take a minute to explain what that is, rather than making people infer what it is. There's a, in the game, there's an imaginary clock. It starts at 11. It's heading towards midnight. When certain things happen, it will click forward by a minute. And when it hits quarters of the hour, 15, 30, 45, various things trigger. And in the quick start, there's specific suggestions for what happens when it hits those doom events course if it gets to midnight you're probably fairly screwed whatever it is you were trying to avoid or stop is likely to happen and we just found we didn't get quite to 15 minutes in our game so uh, it didn't trigger any any doom events but we did find that an interesting mechanic it just didn't really kick in for us that much so we were curious about that
1: (laughs) when it does kick in it really is a nice element that does get the players to start to sweat around the table because the further it gets, Mm -hmm. the more cautious and thoughtful players tend to be about their roles. So rather Mm -hmm. than prompting lots lots of roles, they'll actually think about whether the risk is worth it, especially when you've got that one minute kind of left to an event. Um, there, There becomes debate around kind of how many roles that are being made and people trying to kind of manage the clock and pull it back. Um, which can be a nice, mm. nice dynamic, but it does sound like your group got very lucky, uh, which yeah. is, which is fascinating.
0: And yeah. I, I could have thrown a few more zombies at them, but we wanted to get through the, the whole adventure in time so we could mm. talk about it. Another question they had was character advancement. Is that a thing that exists for an ongoing game?
1: Absolutely. Um, so the way that we've kind of pitched uh, Shiver is as like the kind of horror movie night RPG. But you can do kind of continuous play, playing sequels, playing a kind of monster of the week style game. Um, that's definitely an option. So something like Buffy, for example, um, we think we've kind of worked really, really well with the system. Um, on the ability trees, uh, they all go up to tier 10. Um, the maximum kind of like level cap for characters is 15. Um, so you can really explore one tree. And in the kind of full rule set, there are uh, rules for hybrid archetypes. So when you get those stat increases if you meet certain prerequisites you can blend archetypes together so you can be uh kind of like a warrior mixed with a socialite for example so someone who's kind of brawny but also charming um and begin mixing up characters um to kind of have even more unique builds uh, further down the line
0: okay we did have one question about the stat called wit mm-hmm. they seem to think it wasn't very, that the term wit was not really connected to what it does because it seemed to be pretty much dexterity. Why did you choose to call it wit?
1: So we called it wit because we wanted it to be a bit snappier than dexterity, but also to represent kind of mental acuity and kind of like your reactions Um, because quite a few of the abilities uh, kind of for a tree began to kind of fall within that. Um, so in terms of like kind of like the sharpness of your wits is more to do with kind of how quickly you react to things and how kind of cool you can kind of keep under pressure. And we liked that more as an idea of because um, people can be dexterous, but there is an element of being dexterous under pressure. We felt wit represented that a little bit better um, for, for for us anyway. I, I can I can see how it, how it might not drive um, with everybody. <laughs>
0: I mean, you know, it didn't <laughs> it didn't break the game or anything. Yeah, we was yeah. just <laughs> curious. Yes. But yeah, we all we all had a good time. So, uh thank you for that. You can find that quick starter online. What's the website, Charlie?
1: The website for Shiva is com, and you can also find us at uh, www.parablegames.co.uk as well, which is the company's website where you can find all the books uh, for Shiva, are digital and physical, as well as there should be a option for signing up to our kind of uh, mailing list. And, and you can get your free quick start that way and it'll kind of send it out to you. And that includes um, some pre-built characters and the adventure um, Corporate Rises that we've been talking about.
0: Now, you're about to have four variations, iterations of the game with this upcoming Kickstarter.
1: Two variations um, with, with the next uh, with the next no, one. I mean a
0: total a total of four I mean
1: oh, oh a total of four yes, yeah, sorry I, I understand you yes
0: right now there's the basic game, and then there's shiver gothic, and now yep. you're about to have a Kickstarter for slasher and blockbuster, so why didn't you tell us a little bit about what are the differences in those versions and what uh, what you're kickstarting
1: absolutely so um uh, currently we'll we'll be going kind of funding live on October 11th on Gamefound um and it's a shiver double feature so with shiver with it being a setting neutral um, kind of horror rpg um we've been really enjoying exploring um different subgenres so we decided to do a kind of classic B movie drive-in smash up um where you can explore either your kind of big blockbuster movies or slasher movies so for blockbuster it's more if you're kind of taste in horror is a little bit lighter um you're not kind of so hot on too much blood and gore blockbuster for us falls more within what i would call kind of spielbergian horror it's high levels of peril it's running away from roaring t-rexes or fighting ghost pirates um or giant ants it's got like those kind of like nice big blockbustery elements where the threat feels high uh but the horror um is is lower in, in in that sense but the we want Mummy
0: to... is the movie that came to mind for me, the 99 version of The Mummy.
1: Absolutely bang on. Um, for me and my brother, that was a quintessential movie when we were growing up, and it has that kind of nice pulpy energy, but has high mm-hmm. levels of peril, um, with with good little moments of kind of spookiness throughout. Like, there is kind of horror in it, but it is peppered throughout rather than a constant kind of pervasive element. Um, in terms of Shiver Slasher, that is more of us kind of looking at our core audience and our more like horror savvy audience who are really into the genre um, and want to kind of have their creepy killers and have them stalking people um, through kind of the woods or, or abandoned hospitals or, or whatever. Um, so with, with that, that's gonna be our our kind of big uh, expansion for like looking at those characters, making slashes feel very dangerous because they are singular enemies they're singular entities and it's been really kind of fun working on those uh, characters of like making them as dangerous as possible so when they turn up um your players are really going to get a fright um when they mm-hmm. show up on your tabletop okay
0: unless you're playing scream in which case there's two of them yes <laughs> but you don't realize till the end
1: yeah <laughs> So um, in terms of kind of what's actually on offer with the game found, so this is going to be the first time that we're doing starter sets for Shiver. So if you're new to the system and you wanted to try it out, um, we're doing two separate starter sets that have this theming. So our Blockbuster one, for example, is um, a dinosaur adventure. You're a group of people who have been invited to um, this large scientific park that's been built um, in a hollow um, within the earth where they've created this prehistoric wonderland, um, which obviously will go off the rails as soon as you start looking around. And for Shiver Slasher, uh, we have um, Return to Camp Blood, um, which is your classic camp counsellors working at a summer camp. And there is a famed, well, infamous slasher, I should say, who potentially has come back from the dead, has become stalking the camp at night. Okay,
0: and the uh, existing game Gothic, I assume that's a Dracula, Frankenstein sort of classic.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, Shiva Gothic's our um, first like large original setting. So it's set in a kind of large Gothic sit- sprawling city called Spirehome um, that we've created. And that has uh, two books, uh, one that explores the city uh, called Secrets of Spirehome with a big interconnected 10-chapter story. Um, of kind of like intrigue and vampires and murder, um, the book that book also introduces monstrous archetypes, so it allows you to play as like your favourite universal monsters. So um, you can play as Frankenstein's monster or the Wolf Man, the bad scientist, the vampire. Um, all all of those become available with their own unique trees, um, and for playing longer games as well, we introduced a mechanic called the Doom Calendar. Um, which is more about days ticking off on the calendar as you're playing a longer format story, much like a TV show. Um, And it represents the world around you getting worse. Um, So for us, the Doom calendar that we've laid out for Secret of Spire Home, for example, is the degradation of the city. Um, So a few days in, like kind of rats begin, like swarming on the streets, a curfew gets put in place, Um, more vampires begin braving areas of the city. Um, it becomes more dangerous to go places at night NPCs start disappearing Um, so it gives you this sense that the world is alive and suffering um, for kind of the actions of your players or the failures of your players um, in terms of the amount of doom that they're generating as well as the kind of potentially darker decisions they might make as well
0: okay well I always wanted to play an original monster squad or drag pack type (laughs) game (laughs) yeah. <laughs> so that sounds like the tool for that. I'm talking about the Monster Squad Saturday morning TV show, not the movie. Oh, Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, Wolfman, and I think maybe the mummy had all been reincarnated as wax figures to pay for their crimes. And this nerdy <laughs> little lab guy would sort of activate them at night and send them out on missions that they had to do as penance for their crimes.
1: I may have to look that up. I've not actually heard of that. I've seen the film, but I was unaware there was a Saturday morning cartoon of it. That's yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. <laughs> it's a, what's well, a live, a, it was a live action show. Was it? Wow. Also, so it was, oh, no, I'm going to have to have yeah, that down. But it was a, it was a like the original Ghostbusters. It was a sort of a meant to be comedic, lighthearted, live action Saturday morning thing where the monsters are the heroes. And there was also a cartoon called Drack Pack that was a similar Dracula <laughs> Wolfman Frankenstein kind of team up doing heroic stuff. Uh, yeah. See if those things are on YouTube. I don't know if they are. I know the original Ghostbusters is on YouTube. Okay. So this Kickstarter, when this episode airs, the Kickstarter will be live. We're going to schedule it for the same day as the Kickstarter. I will put the links. Well, it's actually a game found funding, isn't it? Uh, yes Okay. so I will uh, it's like Kleenex or Xerox Kickstarters become a generic term (laughs) for (laughs) your crowdfunding Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to the game found page and to the website where you can get the quick start rules Uh, we're going to take a little break here and then we'll come back to talk about your next okay we're back folks i'm here with charlie Menzies, and we're going to talk about the 2011 slasher movie you're next charlie this seems like exactly the kind of thing that you would want to use shiver slasher to emulate
1: oh absolutely
0: <laughs> a bunch of people in a house some intruders coming in as I said it's from 2011 it's in color 94 minutes directed by Adam Wingard the budget was 1 million the box office was 26.9 million so not too bad I have a death count of 15 <laughs> wow that's I've we've had some kaiju movies that do not have that high of a death count so that's that is uh that's pretty good it stars Sharni Vinson as Aaron, Nicholas Tucci as Felix, Wendy Glenn as Z, AJ Bowen as Crispin, Joe Swangberg as Drake, Rob Morin as Paul, Barbara Crampton as Aubrey, Sarah Myers as Kelly, Amy Simmits as Amy, Ty West as Tariq, Lane Hughes as Tom slash Foxmask. Elsie Holt as Craig slash Lamb Mask, Simon Barrett as Dave slash Tiger Mask, Larry Fessenden as Eric Harson, Caitlin Schill as Talia, and Calvin Reader as Officer Chumbino, and if anyone was counting, you may notice that with a death count of 15, all <laughs> but one of those cast members <laughs> eat it yeah. in this movie charlie uh what particular you requested we discuss this movie so what drew you to this in particular
1: so for me i think when you asked when you reached out and said uh, to kind of pick a, a certain film to talk about i started thinking about films that i felt didn't kind of get enough love in my opinion and i don't hear people talking about your next that much and for me it's one of my um kind of like kind of favorites that's so like popped out I'm um, kind of in, in kind of more modern horror with the renaissance that's so kind of happening really of it blending um so many different elements of the genre in such a smart and really entertaining way because it takes slasher elements um but also brings in elements of kind of home invasion as well as actually a little bit of action movies there's a there's an element of die hard in there as well which i absolutely love um and it's just this beautiful genre smash which um Simon Barrett and Andrew Wingard um kind of went on to do in the guest as well um kind of together they've been a real dynamite pairing um, but your next i think just does so many interesting things um particularly with Aaron as main protagonist um as well as just being an absolute riot and as you say pure carnage in terms of the kill count it's <laughs> it's probably one yeah. of the most lethal home invasion films i've seen and it does not um skimp on the blood or the gore or the um just kind of nihilistic brutality um with which it picks people off um but in the best possible way as dark as that sounds
0: (laughs) in regards to that i have one word
1: blender (laughs) yes (laughs) oh yes
0: uh, yeah, you mentioned it doesn't get enough love it's been on my list for years. I just haven't got around to it and uh, now I have it is in that I guess you call it a subgenre of a slasher movie as you say home invasion uh like strangers which I've never seen but I think that's a similar kind of movie or the original purge where uh yeah somebody or or uh, what is it a safe room is that
1: um panic that's, a David, that's a David Fincher one yes it's, it's definitely got uh, um, ele- elements of that um, he actually did quote that um, The Strangers which I think was a few years prior to this I think that was 2009 um, was an influence mm-hmm. uh, of kind of adding to it but he also drew from um, another one of my favourites Assault on Precinct 13 um, the kind of John Carpenter siege movie um, so so there's an element of like kind of this home evasion and then the siege movies and they kind of cross mm-hmm. over uh, quite a lot. yeah. <laughs> <It also, laughs>
0: I just, uh, I just now thought of this uh, certain type of Doctor Who episode where it's the base under siege. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is a, a typical uh, subgenre of Doctor Who, where we gotta, somebody's trying to get in and we got to yeah. keep them out. <laughs> so uh, let's see if we can make our way through this plot. <laughs> Starts off with a couple of people just going at it. Talia and Eric Harson having sex. I don't know anything about them. I don't know who they are. I don't care. But there they are, going at it. <laughs> Talia walks around the house, not noticing uh, the sensor lights gone on. I'm looking at the Wikipedia uh, summary. Thank you, Wikipedia. Guy gets in the shower. Always a mistake. He gets out and sees your writ. You're next written on the window next uh, in uh, Talia's blood. And she's laying there dead. And then a guy in a lamb mask attacks Eric and kills him with a machete. All the killers are wearing these white animal masks throughout the movie. So these neighbors are just kind of collateral damage just to, because when we find out what's going on, they didn't have anything to do with it. I think they just wanted to make sure they couldn't, help or call for help
1: yeah so I, I think there's an element within the story um i'm trying to remember if there's a throwaway line that i can remember that kind of exp- explains it but of um because obviously uh kind of spoilers ahead for the story in terms of um it turns out it is uh, two of the children of the family who have orchestrated all of the kind of this rampage and murder in order to kind of get their parents hefty um inheritance um, mm-hmm. And there's an element of that to draw suspicion away from them. They want it to make it look like just a mad killing spree that's run through this area. Right. So, so yes. there is element. That they do, it's the only cause they establish that it's um, as they're drawing in that that they're the only neighbours um, as well. So yeah. there is an element of they don't want them calling for help or getting involved. But it also means that it drifts it away um, from um, yes. It takes the, the focus. The yes.
0: Uh, yeah, and that was. Uh... Well, we'll get to that. The, their motivation. We'll, we'll get to that. Erin uh, accompanies her boyfriend, Crispin Davison, to his family reunion at their vacation home in rural rural Missouri. Uh, and Crispin's parents, Aubrey and Paul, older brother Drake and his wife, Kelly, younger siblings, Felix and Amy, and their partners, Z and Tariq, are all there. During the dinner, they start having an argument about, you know, old family crap starts coming up and then somebody shoots poor Tariq with a crossbow through the window, right in the head. He, he's the only one in the uh, during the argument that notices something is going on. And another one comes through and wounds Drake. Not sure why they're using crossbows, maybe just to keep the noise down. Uh, that's n- not clear.
1: I'd imagine so, but I'd, I'd also imagine... In terms of um, kind of like weapon purchase, I would imagine crossbows being kind of like hunting supplies are probably harder to trace as well. If Mm -hmm. if this is all about it kind of not getting back to them. Um, Right. Yeah, I don't know what
0: the rules are in Missouri, but you probably don't have to register a crossbow or go through a background check or anything like that.
1: Yeah, I think it it, it also kind of like resonates with this kind of hunting theme that they have going through it, that they have like the animal mm-hmm. masks and the, the element of kind of like hunting them through. And I think crossbow just feels uh, for me anyway, it evokes more that sense of kind of hunting kind of more in a primal way than a, than say, a pistol, mm-hmm. or would, wood, for example. Yeah.
0: So they all discover their cell phones have been jammed. Amy runs outside for help. They do this whole thing of like, prepping for her to run as fast as she can to get to one of the cars because she's the fastest. And then she runs right into a garret wire and slices her throat and kills her, Uh, which we saw a similar tactic in uh, another movie we watched for this um, day shift. The hero in that case was stringing wires to take out vampires. Uh, Aaron is briefly attacked by an attacker in a tiger mask in the kitchen, but she fights him off and escapes through the kitchen door. Paul puts Aubrey to bed, but an intruder wearing a fox mask who was hiding under the bed murders Aubrey with a machete, leaving the words you're next in blood in the wall. So he just went upstairs and hid under the bed on spec, just (laughs) in case (laughs) somebody was laid down to have a little rest. I don't know. (laughs) That doesn't seem like the. I mean, it worked out for him, but it seems like a bit of a gamble. Uh, (laughs) Kelly discovers Fox Mask, panics, and flees the house, going to Eric's house nearby. Upon discovering Eric's corpse, Lamb Mask throws her through the window and kills her by driving an axe into the side of her head. Crispin leaves the house to look for help. Tiger Mask attacks Aaron with an axe, but she crushes his skull by beating him with a meat tenderizer. Good Lord. (laughs) When I read it all like this, it's it seems much more graphic reading it than actually watching it. Paul finds sleeping bags and food wrappers that indicate the killer's been staying in the house for some time. He finds Felix and Z and starts to explain it to them only for Fox Mask to slit his throat with a machete. It's then revealed that Felix and Z hired the assassins to murder the family so they could collect their inheritance. So these guys, their parents seem perfectly nice to me. Mm. It's not one of those things like why won't you just die oh, you rotten grumpy old man. They seem very nice. I think they would have helped any of their kids if they had just asked.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that's kind of one of the, the tragic things with it is that they they set them up so nicely to kind of be kind of like really loving and caring and you you think that they would kind of help them but there is almost like this prideful element that's kind of like running through that comes out i think in some of the conversations around the dinner table as well of -hmm. them kind of wanting to strike out on their own and that there's an element of kind of like they believe that this is something like they deserve um, it, mm-hmm. I, I think it, it all kind of winds around to this like very strange and interesting sense of entitlement that they seem to have, um, to such a height, yeah. very toxic degree.
0: I just I remember one of them talking about how broke they were. I'm like, then just ask for some help. Move home for God's sake! It's a huge <laughs> house. <laughs> Take a little time and get on your feet. You don't need to murder your perfectly nice parents. To get the inheritance. Plus then you gotta split some of it with these assholes that you've hired yeah. to do all this. <laughs> That's the other thing. They don't even have the nerve to just do it themselves. They outsource it to these mercenary guys. Uh uh, let's see, where was I? Lamb Mask finds Tiger Mask's corpse and flips the dinner table over in a rage. He discovers a wounded Drake hiding, but retreats after Aaron stabs him with a screwdriver. Aaron sets up nail traps by the house's entrances, explaining to Z that she grew up in the survivalist compound, where she learned combat and survival skills. Felix meets Drake in the basement and kills him out of pity by stabbing him with multiple screwdrivers. Uh, On the upper floor, Aaron comes across Paul's body. She jumps through a window to escape Fox Mask, injuring her leg. Lamb Mask is injured by one of her nail traps, just steps right on it. While hiding, Aaron overhears an argument between Felix, Z Fox Mask, and Lamb Mask, where it's revealed that Lamb Mask and Tiger Mask were brothers. Her cell phone beeps to indicate that her text to 911 has gone through, alerting the killers. She's unable to ambush and kill, she is able, sorry, to ambush and kill Lamb Mask by stabbing him in the head. Realizing she cannot outrun Fox Mask with a wounded leg, Aaron sets a trap at the front door where an axe would fall and kill anyone who opened the door. This was like Chekhov's axe trap. It (laughs) sets up and then it just (laughs) sits there. People keep coming through windows and refusing to open the door. And I'm just like, when is that damn axe trap going to go off? (laughs) Not till the very end. Fox Mask enters through a window, so Aaron lures him into the basement where she blinds him with a camera before cracking his skull with a log, killing him. Z and Felix attempt to kill Aaron themselves, but she kills Felix by shredding the top of his head with a blender before stabbing Z in the top of the head with a knife. Uh, That was just uh, the worst or the best, depending on your (laughs) point of view. Uh, Felix's cell phone rings and Aaron answers without speaking, believing he's speaking to Felix. Crispin reveals his involvement in the scheme. You may have forgotten by this point he ran off supposedly to get help, but really just cause he's a baby and doesn't want to watch the shit go down. <laughs> Crispin reveals his involvement in the scheme. Aaron confronts him when he returns and Crispin explains that she was never meant to be targeted after he attempts to bribe her into staying quiet, she kills him in disgust by stabbing him in the neck and eye. A police officer arrives and shoots Aaron in the shoulder. This, uh, having seen her kill Crispin, this reminded me of the end of *Night of the Living Dead*.
1: Yes, no, I, I, it is very reminiscent, isn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah, where the guy's gone through all this shit only to be shot by hunters who who mistake him. For a zombie the police has mistaken her for the killer when she's just defending herself although for this particular kill i don't think she's in immediate danger so she really does just kind of murder crispin yeah just because he deserves it not not because he's immediate threat just because he deserves it so from the policeman's point of view yeah she would appear to be very dangerous after calling for backup, he attempts to enter the house and falls victim to Aaron's front door trap, with the axe hitting him in the head just as the movie cuts to a blood splattered, you're next. She does call out try to warn him, but to no avail. <laughs> so there's the plot to you're next, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I'm glad uh, that I finally watched it. It was uh, It was quite good. I enjoyed it. Uh, what was the movie? Somebody in their review just mentioned Ready or Not. They said this movie and Ready or Not are sisters.
1: They're a very good pairing, um I would say. Yeah, yeah they have a, a similar kind of. um I think it's a thing of those like, realizing you're completely right when you're reading the plot like that way off the Wikipedia. It just sounds so bloody and brutal and almost <laughs> a horrible thing to watch in a way. But there is. I think for me, anyway, there is a dark undercurrent of humour that runs mm-hmm. through it in, in places. And Ready or Not is very similar. I think that really kind of struck a struck a chord with me. How, how how did how did you feel about that? Did you feel there was there was that element there for you
0: of being similar to Ready or Not, or similar to uh, of having humour?
1: Um, I mean, that kind of like dark humour element, because I think yeah, it's, it's a mixed a mixed feelings on that. I I find for people, some people don't. I don't seem to kind of like land on that, Um, but yeah.
0: No, I agree. It had a there's certain I don't know if I want to call it lighthearted tone, Mm. but but (laughs) definitely uh, it's a lighter movie than say a a Halloween Mm. or a Friday the Thirteenth. In that, I guess it's just the the characters are kind of a bunch of idiots Mm. and. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a, a humorous sort of tongue-in-cheek tone mm. to the whole thing. And it might also be a little bit the invaders are slightly bumbling, mm. kind of like in Scream, where he's just constantly falling over, <laughs> smacking his face on stuff, as opposed to a, a Jason, unstoppable machine mm. sort of a killer.
1: Yeah, he's fascinating with them because they build them up and up and up to be this big threat, um, kind of like you would in any other kind of slasher um, or kind of home invasion movie with the prologue murder at the start um, and kind of seeing them. But there's a really key turning point for kind of me where um, it's when um, Aaron kills uh, Tiger Mask because they Mm -hmm. do a very interesting thing. You've had all this ominous music, all of this build up and then the musical cuts out as Aaron kicks him in the nuts beats him with a meat tenderizer um, and kills him and makes short work of him. Um, and, it get, and, and that's when you kind of start to get this element of, oh, these are just guys. And as you kind of start <laughs> going through, you realize they're actually quite incompetent. And you can kind of see like they're potentially kind of ex-military, I think is, is an element that they imply, but they're all a bit like, yeah, bar I'd, I'd say um, kind of the kind of ringleader of the group seems to have a kind of a little bit more Kind of about him, but the tables really start to get turned, and there's kind of certain elements of like where she, where the nice satisfaction of where she like tricks them with a the nail trap, um, and he steps on the nail mm-hmm. trap. and it's just them all kind of effing and blinding um, about being kind of injured um, by this person who they just can't seem to get a handle on or kill or know where she's kind of come from. And I think that for me is the the kind of fascinating core of this film for me anyway, is that rather than, um, Erin kind of becoming the final girl forged in fire at the end of the film, she just very Mm -hmm. suddenly goes into her survivalist mode because no one knows anything about her and they didn't really factor her in in their plans at all. Um, and she goes to town on them and slowly the, the, the actual dynamic changes of the slashers who have invaded the house, um, start to become the victims and she becomes that singular unstoppable slasher figure but she's a protagonist and she's a slasher Mm. that we start to root for um which which i think thinks amazing i it's it's a a very interesting no nonsense approach to being that kind of like your final goal doesn't need to be forged in trauma she is capable of defending herself from the off and extremely capable frankly entire film and i I think it really kind of sent an interesting kind of message um and kind of like commentary i'd say on the slasher genre um overall with her as a character which i think for me is like that's the kind of core underpinning i think for her character of why she's so engaging
0: Mm -hmm. uh it's similar to the hunt have you
1: seen that one yes i have yes it it, it has similarities yeah
0: she's just Competent to begin with, it well, they they in that one it, it's a little similar in in the hunt. They have kidnapped a bunch of people, and in the case of the heroine, they've gotten the wrong person. She had the same name as somebody they intended to kidnap, so they had no idea how competent she
1: actually was. She's a military veteran, isn't she? And she's extremely competent. <laughs>
0: I believe so. So in this case, they've planned for the family members and the boyfriend doesn't realize how competent his girlfriend is. Uh, I guess he just doesn't know her as well as he thought he did. So, uh, yeah, those those are kind of similar. Um, basically, I think it's a Bugs Bunny movie with just multiple Elmer Fuds. She's Bugs Bunny. She's not going to be trifled with. She's gonna that hunter can do whatever he wants, but he's not going to win. Yeah.
1: To me it's got shards of if it was like a hyper violent home alone. Um is what it reminds me That too. Me of yeah. <laughs> I saw
0: a lot of people a lot of people made that comparison online yeah. to Home Alone. <laughs> Folks, if you want to watch this, it is currently streaming on Peacock. I have the middle tier subscription. I don't know if it's available with the free version of peacock or not but probably because it's been out for a while so it's it's probably not a premium <laughs> item you might have to watch some commercials i don't know but uh, yeah if you don't feel like paying for it go take a look at peacock see if you can watch it there charlie i think that's gonna wrap it up for us
1: today okay well thank you for having me this is this has been a this has been delight.
0: I'm going to well, thank you. I'm going to put the links to the game found and to the regular uh, Shiver web page. Uh, you can also find Parable games on Twitter at gamesparable is the Twitter handle. Uh, are you guys on Instagram too? Uh,
1: yes, I, uh, our Instagram handles um at Shiver RPG, um, just all one okay. one lower casing.
0: And of course, we are on all those socials as well. You can find links to all of that on our Anchor page. You can send us an email at monstermoviefuntimego at gmail.com. You can go to anchor.fm slash mmftg and leave us a voice message. Please, somebody do that. <laughs> we'll play it on the show. We'll be back again tomorrow with another of our 31 Days of Horror and probably another guest. So, thank you again, Charlie, for joining me. Until next time, remember to keep calm and seek shelter in basements. And whatever you do, do not misuse science. We will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Monster Movie Funtime Go. You've been listening to Monster Movie Funtime Go. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on your podcasting platform of choice. Our theme song is by the Texacato folk rock punk featuring Lita Lopez. You can support the show, find links to our social media, and even leave us a voice message at anchor.fm/mnftg. <laughs>